Good morning, Midtown. How's everyone doing today? Thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, thank you. It's good to be seen. It's good to have you in the house of the Lord. And uh, for those of you who are new with us today, welcome to our 11 a.m. service. What a joy. What a privilege it is uh, to have you here with us, to worship Jesus with us. I've met a few of you uh, in the foyer. And for those who I haven't met or any of our staff or our friendly people haven't met, just stick around. Let us get to know who you are. We believe that you are here because God has drawn you here. It might have been through a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, but I truly believe that the Lord is drawing you to belong to a people. And whether that's us, this people in this place, or whether that's another people or place in this city, our prayer for you is that God himself would guide you and direct you into the people that you are to be connected with. A people that you're to receive from, but also a people that you're to give to. That you have gifts and you have abilities, your presence, your participation, that all of these things bring strength. So welcome to the house of the Lord with us today at New Life Midtown. Uh, one quick announcement for all the men that are in the house next Sunday, a week from today. We are all across the city. We're having fire pits that are going on. About eight to ten homes are opening up their house uh, to host a fire pit night. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to take all the men at Midtown and break you guys up into smaller gatherings to be able to fellowship and connect with one another over fire pits. I wish I could be there. We're heading out of town uh, right after service next Sunday, but I encourage you guys to get connected. It's a really low-risk, easy opportunity to hang out and enjoy good connection. It's at 6.30 p.m. You can sign up at our Welcome Center out here, which is at Stone Booth, or you can go online at midtown.newlife church.org. I hope you guys join us. All right, how many of you guys are ready for the word this morning? Amen. Let's go. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. We're going to continue our installment on living the spirit-filled life. And true to form, Jonathan and I were talking earlier this week and I said, "Jonathan, I have I have these two things that are burning inside of my heart, and what we're preaching on today is neither one of those two things." So, I'm going to let him preach on all the things that are burning on my heart while I go away on vacation. He gets, to, he gets to take care of everything else that I don't get to cover because I keep on pulling all these audibles. But as I've just continued to stay in the book of Acts and reading it over and over and over again, uh, this bubbled up to the surface. It's a story out of Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. It's a story of the demonstration of God's power through the access of the name of Jesus. So I want you to follow along with me. We're just going to read the first six verses, or the first eight verses, I apologize, and then we'll look at other parts of chapter three and part, parts of chapter four, but I want to focus on the first eight verses, and then we'll pray. Read, read along with me. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I have to read that one more time. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you today to bring revelation and illumination into the power of Jesus' name. I'm asking today, God, that you would anoint me as a vessel afresh and anew to preach the word of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus the gospel of the kingdom. I'm asking today that the word of God would leap off of the pages and that it would find itself settling into the hearts of every single one of us who are here in person 
And those who are watching online, I pray that you would anoint the ears of the hearers today, that we would have ears to hear. Lord, I pray that we would not only hear the words of a man, but we would hear today the words of the Holy Spirit as you have that dual dialogue going on with every single one of us. Lord, you're connecting dots. You're causing things to make sense and come alive. Lord, I pray you would anoint our minds to grasp and to understand concepts, principles of the kingdom. And I pray that you would anoint our hearts, God, to be fertile soil. We want to be a fruitful people. And so, God, we ask that you would make our hearts tender, that you would make our hearts receptive today. And we pray for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. For those of you who were with us last week, we found ourselves base camping in Acts chapter 10. The story of a man by the name of Peter, this same Peter right here, was preaching the gospel. And as he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, he was highlighting the fact that in verse 38, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that Jesus went around doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And so the main idea last week was understanding that God anoints us in the same way that he anoints Jesus. That he has called us and created us and he has commissioned us to walk in that same anointing, to walk in that same dependence and in that same ability by the Spirit of God that he gave Jesus. Well, today could really be a complimentary installment to that message because today I want to talk with you about understanding the power of Jesus' name. Understanding the power of Jesus' name. Understanding the power of Jesus' name is to understand everything that is available for us that was available to Jesus by virtue of his name. It's interesting as we look at the story here, when we look at Peter and John, and they find themselves in a moment. What's interesting is that this man was sitting at the temple gate, beautiful, potentially for decades, many years. We find out that this man was lame from the time he was born. And later on in the story, we find out that this was over 40 years old. We're not sure when his parents or his aunts and uncles or his cousins or neighbors or friends decided that they were going to pick him up when he was of age to sustain himself sitting there out in the hot sun day in and day out asking people to have mercy on him. We're not sure when that happened, but I'm, I'm imagining it happened for quite some time. And what we can deduce is that Jesus himself probably walked by this very same person. As Jesus was going to temple, as Jesus was going to synagogue, as Jesus was entering into the gates of Jerusalem, Jesus probably saw this very same man, and sovereignly God had decided on this very day, as Peter and John were going at the time of prayer to interact with this person, it was a divine appointment for this man. Peter and John look at this man, and they recognize very naturally, we, we're not we're not carrying anything with us. We don't have any money to give you. But in the same way that Jesus always saw beyond the superficial request to see the exact need, the deeper need. Right, let, me just, let, me just, let me just camp on this one a little bit. right? Because a lot of times we're asking for Jesus for things that we think are the real need. And it's not the real need. It's the superficial symptom. But God can see the real need. You guys remember when in Mark chapter 2, there was a man who was paralyzed. Very similar story. This man was paralyzed and he had a group of friends that would pick him up. And they carried him to the place where Jesus was and they opened up a hole in the roof. They dropped him down right in front of Jesus. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is not, son, you are healed. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, son, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus is able to identify what the real need is when many times we're still working on the superficial symptom. The man thought what he needed was money, and what Peter and John discerned was that what you really need is a touch by the power of God ex executed through the name of Jesus. That's what you really need. I mean, you can settle on money if you want, if you want to stay here for a couple more years, but what I have to give you is something that you really need. What you really need is to experience wholeness and restoration and healing in your body as a sign and as a wonder that the kingdom of God has come. 
And what Peter and John say to him is fascinating because they say, we don't have any money, but we do have something. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give you. Say that with me. Say, what I have, I give you. Because you can't give what you don't have. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out on their first mission trip. And this is what he says to them. He says, freely you have received. So then, therefore, freely you should give. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is the economy of the kingdom. And the greater kingdom principle here is that none of us have acquired or accumulated anything in God or in life by ourselves. No matter how gifted, no matter how talented, no matter how hard you worked, no matter how well you pulled your, you know, self up by your bootstraps and made it happen, you didn't make it happen because you have freely received everything you have in God. Your personality, the air you breathe, the opportunities that have been given to you, the education, the ability to understand in and through your education, it has all freely been given to you, which means none of it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to you. Nothing belongs to you. The anointing that God gives to you, he gives to you as a trust. I'm trusting you with the anointing. This church doesn't belong to you. God is trusting you with this people. Revelation doesn't belong to you. He gives it to you so that you could steward it and cultivate it and develop it and understand it and activate it and walk in it because there's someone else who needs the revelation that God has given to you. Everything you have, you have received by grace through faith freely so you could give to somebody else. Silver and gold I don't have, but I do have something. What I have, I give to you. And as I just ruminated on that, well, what exactly was it that Peter had? What, what was it that Peter had? Well, he reached out his hand and he told the man to rise up and be healed. So maybe it was healing. Maybe, maybe Peter possessed healing. Maybe he had healing. But then I thought to myself, no, no, we don't possess healing. We don't have healing. Only God has healing. Because only God is the healer. But then we find out we're not going to go there right now, but you can go there on your own. That when Jesus is spending his last few moments with the disciples, in John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, those four chapters, we find that Jesus leaves his disciples with something very critical to their flourishing as believers in the earth when he leaves. He leaves his disciples with his name. With his name. He says to these guys, hey, listen, up until this moment, anything you needed, I gave it to you. Anything you needed, I was able to give it to you because I am the source. But then he says, now something is shifting in the relationship. I've got to go back and be with the Father, and I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And now, from now on, anything that you need, all you have to do is petition heaven in my name. I'm giving you the privilege to use my name. How many of you have ever had someone mishandle or misrepresent your name? And when they mishandled your name, what they did was they mishandled the credibility that you accumulated over years of doing the right thing. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about in here. You have one client, you have one person that you hire, all of my business leaders and business owners in here, you have one person that goes out to, uh, to Eswatini, one person, it only takes one person to undermine and undo years of faithfully building a name. One bad Yelp review, one bad Google review, one bad representation of your name. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to let you borrow what I have been accumulating in heaven and in earth for all of eternity. I'm going to let you use the power that I've accumulated by my name. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. What did you give them, Peter? I'm giving you what I have access to by the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. The man gets healed. He rises. 
that old children's song, he went around leaping and dancing and praising the Lord. And then all of a sudden there's a commotion that happens in the temple, and rightly so, because most of the people around there who are going in and out of the temple, they know this man. We're talking again about potentially decades of people going by this person, this man asking these people and them either benevolently helping him or awkwardly walking by, but this man was known. And so now all of a sudden this man who has been crippled his entire life is getting up, running around, dancing, leaping, jumping, and now all of a sudden people are going, my God, we know who this person is. How could this be? We pick up the story in Acts chapter chapter 3, verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? I love that question. What do you hear when you hear that question? I mean, think about this. This is a miracle. This is a bona fide power encounter, and Peter's just like, nah, another day. Yeah, that's what we do. We just roll up in the temple. People are crippled. Be healed. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Like, listen to this question. Why does this surprise you? Peter is implying that by the basis of the kingdom of God now breaking through, Jesus said this. When Jesus started his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. There is a new dominion. There is a new rule. There is a new reign. There are new rules that are in place. There is a new season that I have inaugurated. I have started something in the earth realm. I have begun a work in the earth realm. And Peter understands this now. And he's essentially saying, this is, this is the kingdom. This should not be surprising to you. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is here. We live in the kingdom. I'm preaching the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that supersedes the rules of earth. It's the kingdom of God. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or by our own godliness we had made this man walk? I love the fact that in these moments there's a pattern that unfolds. You see it over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Beginning in chapter 2, what you find is that there is some power encounter. There is some heaven invading earth. There is some disruption. There is some kingdom of God breaking in. There is some sign or some wonder. And all of a sudden, that sign opens people's eyes up to, oh, there's something different that's happening here. Something has disrupted the ordinary And then when that disruption takes place and you have people's attention, that attention has been designed now for there to be proclamation of gospel and explanation of kingdom. That's the pattern. Signs and wonders, proclaim the gospel, let them know whose name this is happening in, and then explain to them kingdom mysteries and kingdom realities to whet their appetite, not for them to say a prayer to get to heaven, but to whet their appetite to step into a new reality called kingdom life that is available for all. It happens in Acts chapter 2, it happens in 3, it happens in 4, it happens in 9, it happens in 13, it happens in 14. It happens over and over and over and over again. And we ought to cue in on maybe this is something that God wants to become a reality in our life. Why do you stare at us as if this is by our own power? Here's what Peter is essentially saying. Guys, we didn't do this. We can't. This is absolutely out of our control. We didn't do this. This is not us. Don't look to us. There's this reminds me of this story in Acts chapter 14 when, when Paul and Barnabas step into this place and they heal a guy and all of a sudden everybody around, they're like, you're Hermes and Zeus. Like that's, that's, that, that's all they knew. That was their paradigm. You're the gods. The gods have come down to us. And Paul and Barnabas are like, wait, no, it's not. It's not us. It's not us. But th- there's something intuitive there's something like innate inside of humans where we see these power encounters and we want to attribute it to something special on that person 
you, you, there's, there's, there's something special about you. Peter and, Peter and John, they completely dismantle that. It's not us. The second thing they say is this isn't because of our godliness. Now, I do believe that there is a relationship between godliness and walking in the power of God. There is a relationship between godliness and the anointing. There is a relationship between living holy and living in the will of God. But essentially what Peter is trying to debunk right here is he's saying, guys, listen, we're not better than you religiously. This demonstration of the kingdom isn't happening because we've got a better prayer life than you. We didn't fast a couple of more meals, and now all of a sudden we've got the secret sauce, and you don't. We're in the special class, and you're not. This Peter's, look at the verse. Why do you stare at us as if this is by our own power or by our own godliness? We didn't memorize the Torah a couple of more times. Like, you, you missed a word, and we didn't, and all of, all of a sudden now we've got the special power, and you don't. Peter is saying, this is available to every person who calls on the name of Jesus. Why is it? Because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. It has everything to do with his faithfulness. It has everything to do with what he accomplished. It has everything to do with his obedience to the Father. It has everything to do with his power that was exercised through his resurrection. It has everything to do with the standing that he has sitting at the right hand of God. This has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with God. I'm just reminding you, I'm only here because your son gave me privileged access to step into this court and call upon the name of the representative that you sent to us. And so now on the basis of who he is and who he's always been and what he's done and what he's continuing to do, I'm just saying this man should, this man should be healed. It has nothing to do with me. Remember those of you who are good evangelicals, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Some of you can quote this with me, but it says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not by works so that no person can boast. And then, like we just threw that out the window after we got saved. It was like, okay, yeah, we get it. The only way that we can be saved is because of your grace and we have faith in your grace, and so we step into that grace because we choose to believe that you've given us grace, and now we're going to live the rest of our Christian lives by ourselves. We're going to try, we're going to, try to be godly by ourselves. We're going to be righteous by ourselves. Uh, we're going to be disciplined by ourselves. We're going to exercise the kingdom by ourselves. We're going to be led by the Spirit. We're going to hear your voice, and we're going to do it all by ourselves because way back there you gave us grace, and now it's all on us. The same way that you came to Christ by grace through faith is the same way that you're to live every part of the Christian life until you see him again. So that moment right there, silver and gold have I none. What I have I give to you by faith in the name of Jesus. You know what that was? That was a by grace through faith moment. It was the grace of God that healed that man. It was the faith of who? That's another conversation for another time. But honestly, it doesn't matter. Was it Peter's faith? Was it John's faith? Was it the crippled man's faith? I don't know, but there was some faith that was working in there. The big thing to know is it wasn't faith in Peter, and it wasn't faith in John, and it wasn't faith in their faith. It was faith in the name of Jesus. That's what we need to know. So Peter stands up and he begins to explain to everyone what's going on. And then classical Peter, he launches into preaching the gospel. Because every encounter of the Spirit should point to Jesus. Because every inbreaking moment of the kingdom should point to Jesus. Because everything that feels like it's, oh, there's, there's, there's something miraculous or powerful or, or, or supernatural that's happening. Yes, 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 Jesus. It should all point to Jesus because it's all from Jesus, it's all by Jesus, and it's all for the glory of Jesus. So then Peter continues to explain, go to verse 16. This is my favorite verse in this whole story. Peter breaks down faith in a way that I've never seen faith broken down before. So for those of us who've grown up or we've heard or we've been warned about those word of faith people, 
Those people who just, if, they, if you say the right thing, if you have the right formula, if you say it the right way, if you say the right words the right way the right amount of times, you're going to get the right results. Peter breaks all that down right here. He says this. He says, it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man whom you see and know was made strong. We're just going to stop right there. How was this man healed? By faith in the name of Jesus. Period. Someone chose to take Jesus at his word. I'll take you at... Somebody took him at his word. If you said it, I believe it. Right? I'm not going to sing the rest of that song, but you... that. I'm sitting here listening to this worship set going, you, you guys were listening to the same Holy Ghost. Actually, I was listening because they got the set list before I got the word. The Lord's like, you need to get in line, buddy. <laughs> By faith in the name of Jesus. What is that? It's faith in the name of Jesus. Says, Jesus, I believe what you said to the point that I'm going to act on it. I trust you. I trust you. I trust that you can. I trust that you will. I trust that you're able. I trust that you want to. And whether it happens now or whether it happens on the other side of life on this planet, I believe it will happen. It will happen. And so be encouraged, brothers and sisters, where you're like, I prayed and I declared and I did it all in the name of Jesus. Listen, that thing, if it was according to the will of God, if it didn't happen now, I promise to you, it will happen. It will happen in eternity. Right? Life is not limited to your 40 to 80 to 120 years on this planet. God is, God's work is much bigger then the moment that you, you know, every year, you're basing the entirety of your faith in that one moment. And God is saying, listen, what I'm up to is much bigger than that one moment. Where at times I may use that one moment, but I'm always doing something beyond just that one moment. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see standing here, completely strong. But then look at the next part of this. Verse 16 again, chapter 3. He says, and the faith... That comes through, next part, part B, as they would say. Part B, there it is. I command you in the name of Jesus. Come forth, part B, now, by faith, in the name of Jesus, this man. It's the next one. It's the next one. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. Now, listen, what is that about? Because I always thought... That faith came from me. I always was taught that you need to have a little bit more faith. That if you just had more faith, that if you have faith like that of a mustard seed, Jay, you don't even have mustard seed faith. You, you ain't even got mustard seed faith. Okay, well, I need to go get me more faith. Nothing. No, I, I need to go get, I need to get more faith. I need, to, I, need to, I need to hear more. I need to read more. I need to pray more. I need to declare more. I need to fast more. I need more, more. I need more faith. And listen, this is what Peter said. Where did the faith come from? The faith came through Jesus. You can't even have faith if Jesus isn't giving it to you. It's not faith in your faith. It's not faith in how much faith you have that moves the hand of God. The faith is this. Here's what faith looks like. Jesus, I believe that you are who you are and that all of this is about you and all of this is because of you. And everything that was required for this to happen, you did it. You're the only one qualified. It's all about you. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you to increase my faith. I'm asking you to gift me with faith. There is a father who brought his son who was epileptic and demon-possessed and brought him to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't do anything. And Jesus comes to him, and the father says, and Jesus says, do you believe? And what does the father say? I do believe, yet help my unbelief, which tells me that no matter how much faith you have, you will always have belief 
and you will always have a measure of unbelief. You will always have faith, and you will always have a measure of a lack of faith. And the humility for this father to say, I do believe, but I recognize and realize that there are parts of me that are afraid. There are parts of me, God, Jesus, if you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. There are parts of me that are desperate right now. There are parts of me that I'm looking into my future, and if my son doesn't get healed, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I don't know what I'm going to do with me, and I'm scared. And he says, will you help me in that place of unbelief? And Jesus says, boom, be healed, be delivered, be free, be saved. Like some of us are so afraid of being afraid that it keeps us from acknowledging that we're afraid. And that's the very thing that keeps us in faith because we're doing it in the name of faith. I ain't afraid. I got faith. You more scared than anybody. You're so scared. You listen, you're so scared that you're not even willing to admit that you're scared because you're afraid that if you admit you're scared, that something bad's going to happen to you. That's called real fear. You're so afraid you can't even acknowledge reality. That's not faith. That is not faith. Faith is saying, God, I'm scared. Will you help me? I call on you. Yeshua, Hosanna. God, come, save, heal, deliver. It's you. It's you. It's always been you. It can only be you. I need your help. God, strengthen me, empower me. Give me more faith. If my faith is small, give me more faith because it all comes from you anyways. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man standing before you is made completely strong and the faith that comes through Jesus. Friends, if you're low on faith, ask him. He'll give you faith. He'll strengthen your faith. He'll increase your faith. He'll bless your faith. All right, let's skip on over to Acts chapter 4. As the story continues, Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel, and then he's thrown in prison. And Jesus told him this stuff's going to happen. Peter and John are thrown into prison because the religious elite don't like the fact that these guys are disrupting order and control. The resurrection of Jesus and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God will always disrupt religious structures. Always. You, can't, you cannot control the spirit of God. You cannot put the power of God in a box. There is no seatbelt that fits the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You either surrender and say, God, I want everything that you have and be ready for life to be disrupted, or you can go back to the quiet corners of passivity and controllable religion, and you can live there. But I'm telling you, the two don't coexist. Those people are like, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to put this under wraps right now. Throw them in prison the next day, they wake up, and here's where we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 5. The next day. The rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the priest family, and they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. This is where things get fun. By what power or what name did you do this? Look at that. By what power or what name did you do this? By what power... Or what name? The religious leaders have enough know-how, they have enough sense to connect power and name together. By the way, push pause here. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 4. Skip on over with me to Matthew chapter 21. Because this isn't the first time they asked this question. Now remember, they're bringing them in. And the religious rulers are going, you're doing things that no human's supposed to be able to do. That guy was crippled for 40 years, and you walked over in a moment. He didn't do any physical therapy. We didn't have to do any massage therapy. He didn't go through any squat jumps. I mean, that brother just jumped up, and he's all of a sudden, about that, this, this is impossible. By what power or name did you do this? Well, they asked Jesus the same question, but it had a little bit of a different nuance. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, he says, Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Now watch this. Because all of these words matter. 
So in Acts chapter 4, they're saying, by what power? How, how are you able? How do you have the ability to speak to a man and perform works of miracles? And then over in Matthew chapter 21, they said, this is essentially what they're asking Jesus. Who gave you permission to do this? Who said you could do this? We didn't say you could do this. So who gave you permission to do this? Are you doing this legally? Are you operating underneath the religious structures and processes and procedures and codes that we get to handle and control? Who gave you permission to do this? By what authority? Now, here are the two nuances that we have to see. That in the name of Jesus, that Jesus has given to his people, we have two things that are in operation. Number one, we have power that is in the name of Jesus. And we have, number two, authority that is in the name of Jesus. And the two are distinct, and I can't go into the depths of that today, but I'm going to tell you I will go into that on Wednesday night at 6.30. But I'm just going to shoot a flare up in the air for you to go, oh, there's a difference between power and there's a difference between authority. Let me break it down. Power is ability. Power is the person. So when Peter and John look at that crippled man, they say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. I'm giving to you the name of Jesus, and there is power in that name. It is as if. Actually, it's not even as if. It is. When Jesus says, or when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, who's doing the healing? Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So Jesus steps in and Jesus heals because the power is the name and the name is the power. The name of the one that G, that Peter is enforcing is the one who is doing the act of power. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Jesus then heals because it's his name that is called upon to act. Power is ability. Power is nature. Power is the person acting. Authority is different. Authority really is the critical issue because authority is permission. Authority is permission. And what God is more interested in, God will give you power, but here's the thing. God is more interested in you being a person who understands and is submitted to authority. Because deep within the human being, our sinful person craves power. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when the enemy comes. And the enemy doesn't come and say this. He doesn't come and say, hey, eat this fruit and I'm going to give you permission. The enemy comes and he says, eat this fruit so that you can have power like God has power. And you can, watch this. This is the lie of the enemy. If you just get enough power, you can be your own authority. Did you see this? This is the lie. And think about how many ways this fleshes out in life, in society, politically. This is why elders and deacons think if I can just get enough power, then I have authority to rule the church. Uh-oh. Right? This is why husbands who have physically more power, oh, we ain't ready to go there yet, are we? Huh? Y'all ain't ready to go there. Authority is always given. Authority is never taken. You can take power, but you can't take authority. Because authority is the legal permission to execute power. The word authority is the word in Greek. It's exousia. What does that sound like? Exousia. Executive. Executive. Execute. Right? I always like to think about my, my favorite kinds of movies that Christy absolutely despises, and they're the submarine movies. Crimson Tide, U571. What's the one with Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery? Hunt for Red October, all right? And this is what Christy hates. Sorry to air out your dirty laundry here, baby. It's okay. All those movies are exactly the same. They're exactly the same. They're people, they're stuck in a boat, and then there's some big crisis, and then who's going to punch the launch codes? It's the same movie. Exactly. 
but one's with Sean Connery and one's with Denzel. Come on, baby. You can't get much better than that. You got Matthew McConaughey over here. Come on now. You got Liam Neeson, Widowmaker. These are good movies. You know what the issue is in all those movies? It's not about power. Where's the power at? The power's in those nukes. What's the issue? It's authority. Who has the legal permission to push the button? Who has the legal permission to execute power? And the enemy's temptation, listen to me, church, the enemy's temptation is if he can convince you that you are powerful enough, then you can bypass and you can short circuit the process of submission and character building that were designed by God to prove you with authority. Did you hear what I just said? Some of, some of you are like, but I'm anointed, but I can preach, but I can sing, but I can lead, but I can't. No, that doesn't matter. Can you be trusted? Because the reason why you're in obscurity right now is because God sees something in your life that the moment you get power, he knows that everything's going to go haywire because you don't have the type of character that is able to sit underneath authority, authority you don't like and authority you don't agree with. An authority that has their own differences, an authority that has their own mistakes. This is why God had Joseph and David submit to other leaders for years before he gave them authority to touch the power that was available for them. It's not about power. It's about can you be trusted with power? Is it about can you operate under authority so that you can access the power that God has available for you? This is what the name of Jesus is all about. So this moves me on to the next point. Go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 13. Because I want you to know that, guys, this isn't magic. Nothing in God is magic. Nothing in God is about nailing some formula. It's not about bowing to a certain direction and saying a certain number of prayers or getting it just right or doing. God, he, he took care of all of that. He took care of the perfection so that you could live in life and grace. Are you, are you seeing that? Understand today, church, understand that this is not about you nailing the right magical words. This is about you operating in the abiding of relationship because the relationship is where the authority rests. Acts chapter 19, we have a couple of jokers that roll up on the scene. Verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. Just stop right there. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that tell you? They tried to invoke. They were like, oh, everybody else is doing this. There must, be, there must be something magical in the name. And as long as I say the name, then I can manipulate and use the name. The name is the badge. The name is the code. The name is the launch codes. The name is, as long as I say the right name or say it in the right way or the right intensity, if I say the name, in Jesus' name, oh, there it is. As long as I say the name, then I have access. No, it's not, it's not the name in and of itself. It's what the name re represents in the relationship. We're going to go back to the story because it's a good one, but let me, let me give an example. So we tell our children that just because someone rolls up to the park and offers them a lollipop and says, I know Jade and Christy, they used our name, but they're... They're abusing our name for their own purposes. Man, I told them, I said, listen, friends. I said, kids, even if you go to church and you see someone toting around a Bible and you say, oh, hey, I know mom and dad. I know past pastor, Pastor Jade and Chrissy. Come, come, come with me. I said, you punch him right in the nose in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay, I didn't quite say that, but it really did make a good point. What is the point? The point is the magic's not in the name. The magic's in the relationship. 
You don't get the name without the relationship. Sons of Sceva, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed, and they would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, that just cracks me up. In the name of Jesus, and I've never seen this before, but go, go back to the, does that say in the name, in the name of the Jesus? <laughs> what? Y'all, I ain't never seen that. In the name of the Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And man, I love this man. Demons got some personality. They're like, hey, yo, listen, we know who Jesus is. And we know who Paul is. But you, who are you? You got none. You got no power. You've got no authority. You've got no jurisdiction. You got no business using that name. The magic's not in the name. If it were, every time I go to Mexico and say Jesus, like there'd be like most people in Mexico are named Jesus. It's not in the name. It's not in the name. It's in the relationship that is available because of the name. Now what you're doing is when you use that name, you're leveraging the authority of the abiding relationship that Jonathan talked about in John 15. A couple of days ago, we were up at Desperation Conference up at the North Campus. I'll say this and then we'll be done because it's just a great story. I have to, I have to use it at my kid's expense. So apparently, and I don't know this because I don't pay attention to these things, but, you know, you, you pay amount of money, they give you a wristband, and this is your access. The wristband's your access. By the way, our, the blood of Jesus that marks our life is our access. We'll talk about that later. All right. The, the wristband's the access to get them through the door to go into a conference where there's 2,000 young people that have gathered from across the nation for this conference. So I don't realize that I need a wristband, so I walk through the door, and a sweet volunteer says, um, Pastor Jade, where's your wristband? And I said, hold up real quick. Bow! There's my wristband, girl. Man, I, I expect a little bit more of it. That was, <laughs> I need more urban crowds to draw on. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Okay, look, that's, that's my access. That's my authority. So I walk in. My whole family walks in. But then while we're in worship, our two little guys, they go back out. Now, my two little guys, they ain't got this. They don't have that authority. So they walk up to the same sweet volunteers doing such a diligent job protecting that environment. And I got, you know, these two little pups that are like, yeah, you know, here we go. And they're like, um, where's your wristband? And they go, we're Pastor Jade's kids. <laughs> they're like, okay. But you tell them to come out here. We need to set that guy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, that's not a proud moment for mom and dad, to be honest with you guys. But you know what it was? It's relationship. It's those kids understanding, oh, wait, we got in here because we were behind mom. We were with mom and dad. We're not with mom and dad, but we have the name of mom and dad that is a reflection of the depth of relationship that we have with mom and dad. Like, you've got to see this. Like, the, the picture is so beautiful. The first time they go through, they're with mom and dad. In the same way, the disciples are with Jesus. Jesus goes to heaven, right? The second time our kids go through, they're not with mom and dad, but what do they have? They have the name, which is as if mom and dad were right there with them. You're going to get that later this week. Stand with me to your feet this morning. As you guys are preparing to come to the table, there's this, uh, there's this sweet moment in the remainder of that chapter. I mean, just 30 seconds. These guys are being interrogated, and here's what those religious leaders tell them to do. They said, listen, guys, you need to stop preaching in that name. Now, you can preach in the name of the Pharisees, and you can preach in the name of the Torah, and you can do all this. But listen, that name right there, you need, to, there's something to, you need to stop preaching in that name. And you know what Peter and John said? 
They said this. They said, listen, should we obey you or should we obey God? And then verse 12, put, put chapter 4, verse 12 up there for me. This right here, you've got to see this because this is the key to everything. Peter and John said, salvation is found in no other name. For there is no other name given by God under heaven or earth by which we can be saved. I'm going to give them a minute because I want you to put your eyes on that in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. I mean, we could, just, we could just break all this down. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. No one else. He's the one. He's the one. He is the fulfillment and the culmination of decades of prophecies. Decades. Peter said it like this. He said, beginning from Samuel the prophet and every one of your prophets, they all point to Yeshua the Messiah. He's the one. There is no other name under heaven given. That name has been given to you. And it has been given by God himself as your badge into the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Some of you are here in this place and you've been trusting in your own name. You've been trusting in your parents' name, your family name, your business name. You've been trusting in your university's name, your education's name. You've been putting your trust in all different kinds of names. And here is the point of decision today. Will you learn to put your trust in the name, the only name that has been given to you to bring you salvation and wholeness and peace and liberation and freedom and joy and reconciliation to God and restoration of all good things? It's the name of Jesus. And here's what it looks like very simply. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who repents of their sin and believes in their heart, Jesus, you are the son of God. Have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. And the reason why I can ask you to forgive me of my sin is because I believe that you will forgive me on the basis of your name. So would you pray this prayer with me all around this room? Dear Jesus, in your name, would you forgive me? And in your name, would you save me? It's just that simple. It's just that simple. I repent. I receive your forgiveness, and I come into the family of God on the basis of your name. I pray today that salvation would come. There's somebody in this room today. You've been brought here by divine appointment to hear that there is no other name given to mankind under heaven by which you can be saved. But by placing your faith and trust in the name of Jesus, your sins can be forgiven over and over and over again and the life of God can enter into you and you can step into a brand new reality called the kingdom of God. Let it be done today in Jesus' name. Friends, I want to invite you to the table. You can exit on the left and you can receive this Passover meal that we commemorate every week as we recognize and remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Exit on your left, receive the body, receive the cup and come back to your seat. We'll take it together.